This evening's talk is about investigation or discrimination of states and the creative process. What is it that enables us to move towards being a Buddha? Or as one of my Burmese teachers says, what makes up one a true heir of the Buddha? There's a phrase that the Buddha used uh, quite often, ehipasika, which means come and see. Ehipasika. This is an invitation to come and see, not to come and believe, but to come and see for ourselves what's true. To come and see in this, re- in this way requires a great interest, willingness, and courage, which includes a growing faith that blossoms out of our own experience. An interest, a willingness, and a courage to look directly, deeply, and honestly into the body, the heart, and the mind with humility and without relying on what others say is true through what we've heard or through what we've read. To come and see in this way requires that we don't settle into the inertia of our habitual perceptions of our habitual relationships to and our habitual identifications with our inner and outer experience. This interest, willingness, and courage are the qualities that keep practice alive from the very beginning and ongoing ongoing through all the years of our practice. With this evening's talk, we'll explore the discerning aspects of mindfulness. The aspect of mindfulness that's fueled by the Buddha's invitation, Ehipasika. And this is the second factor of enlightenment, investigation or discrimination of states. Mindfulness is needed in all instances as a seasoning of salt in all sauces, as the Buddha said. Mindfulness is a refuge for the heart, a refuge for the mind, and the factor through the whole of our practice and through the whole of our life that's our greatest protection. Investigation discrimination of states, both bodily and mental states, is the activity of mindfulness. It illuminates the object. We see and sense the object of our mindfulness clearly. Investigation has the potential to penetrate and illumine things to light up body, bodily and mental experience right into their core, showing us both their individual characteristics and their universal or ultimate reality.
universal essence or ultimate reality as it's sometimes called. This factor of awakening has the potential to dispel darkness. The darkness of not seeing or ignoring how it is. Investigation eliminates bewilderment and confusion. The not seeing, the not knowing of delusion and of ignorance. It's like walking into a pitch dark room with a very bright flashlight. When things are brightly lit, what's already present is then clearly seen and is known and confusion is dispelled. In our practice, investigation means that we experience directly without the mediation of concept. So for example, and this can be a metaphor for any internal phenomena or movement in the body or a state of mind or for any object that the eye, the eye door contacts as we move into seeing drawing. A breath is known and maybe you see it and know it, sense it at the level of simply knowing in, knowing out, which is actually still based in the world of concept. Investigation, we could say, without putting on the glasses. And then you put on the metaphorical glasses and directly know a long or a short or a deep or a shallow breath. You may connect simply and directly with the movement of the breath at the nostrils or in the belly, experiencing the touch sensation in the space between the nostrils and the upper lip or the rising and the falling movement in the belly. Beginning now to move from conceptualizing the breath to direct experience of the breath. And then you look through the microscope with the lowest power lens. And then maybe the whole in-breath is felt and known from its beginning all the way to its end. You feel and know the whole in-breath and out-breath. And maybe, much to your surprise, you find that each in-breath and each out-breath isn't necessarily the smooth, ongoing experience that you've been used to. And even though it might be quite subtle, you begin to feel and know it very clearly as maybe happening in tiny segments, like in, 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 out, 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 rather than as a smooth flow. As you come closer, getting more intimate with the experience of breath, you begin to see it as just simply happening on its own, without you controlling it. The heart, the mind, and the body are relaxed, and there's much interest in what's occurring. You're not thinking about it. Just simply present, receptive, and very interested. As you relax more, with interest growing even brighter, 
the microscope's lens powers up. The idea, the concept of breath falls away. The mind is settled and collected. Potential distractions have little or no attraction. The subtle sensation just below the nostrils or the rising and falling movement in the belly is very clearly felt and known, with maybe the most predominant experience being a very soft vibration with each movement of the breath. Who's breathing? Who's moving? Who sees? Who's experiencing and knowing bodily sensation? Who's hearing? Breath isn't what you thought it was, or at least for the moments that you've stopped thinking about it and are just simply directly and mindfully present clearly discerning the experience with a deep and complete trust in those moments. A trust that this is just enough. Nothing else needs be done. The mind, the heart is open, receptive, spacious, and at ease in this direct and simple connection to experience as the way of things reveals itself. This is our practice. This is our training. I'd like to spend a bit of time now exploring the creative process as practice. With mindfulness and investigation being the root from which stem the beautiful blossoms of wisdom and creative expression in their myriad manifestations. Creative process is potentially a vehicle for peeling away the layers of our habitual conditioned perceptions and reactions. And a vehicle that has great potential for revealing the interdependent and selfless nature of all physical and mental phenomena. So for instance, whether it be the immediacy and spontaneity of moment-to-moment creative visceral response through the moving body, or via receiving what is seen with the eye without interposing the self, meaning contacting things directly, letting the hand and the pencil flow, follow what the eye sees without the thought of making a picture or without the thought of being creative. Or be it trusting the process of thought and words arising as though from nowhere, from no one and the immediacy and spontaneity of letting writing flow from this empty space. The creative process is about forgetting what we've previously learned. A necessary step 
in responding directly and seeing and sensing more precisely. Part of moving, seeing, and writing is forgetting. Meaning, forgetting what we think we know about the subject. Forgetting what we've been taught. Or in our case, what we think we know or what we think we don't know about drawing or writing or how we should or shouldn't move the body. This kind of forgetting stops the mind from knowing in its habitual conditioned ways. At that point one is confronted with the object itself and one's usual way of knowing is arrested. The heart, the mind is open, receptive, appreciative, able to respond to the inner voice, the tone, the shape, the texture with genuine authority and autonomy. What keeps this open-hearted being in the presence from happening? One artist's reply to this question was the fear of losing control. I think that many people experience not knowing as feeling dumb. But I can honestly say that some of the most extraordinary experiences that I've had in which truth was revealed to me all had the quality of bearing witness, of just simply being there or being here with tremendous and yet relaxed interest. A very open-hearted, connected mindfulness and discernment humility and no need to make meaning. In our practice, and this includes the creative process as practice, until we can suspend the need for meaning, we can't experience direct revelation, we can't experience direct insight, wisdom. Though without a doubt, there's a very ancient and subconscious urge for creative life and inventiveness in every single one of us from our very beginnings. It's not so easy to be unarmed, to be without our habitual ways and self-centered identifications. As we all know, fear can sometimes leap up in us. And so we train the heart, we train the mind slowly and with great care to see the nature of our constraints clearly and to let go. The poet Rilke exhorts us to return to things themselves. 
but the way to them can be difficult as we're faced with ourself our seemingly set solid self and it seems that we're overtrained regarding ourselves we're usually the very center of our attention and so thus it's very difficult to come and see ehipasika as the buddha invites us beyond this notion of a self of a me engaging in the creative process with joyful interest and open-hearted mindfulness can really be a wonderful vehicle towards freeing up honesty authenticity and the essence energy of creativity all of which help create the conditions that allow the direct revelation of insight into the way of things I've learned a lot from children in this area. In my early 30s, I taught art at an alternative school for no, uh, a number of years. The 5 to 8-year-olds loved painting. And sometimes I asked them to paint in relationship to a particular theme, but often it was just free expression painting. And one morning as I was walking around the painting room and looking and commenting on paintings in process and those that were already finished one little boy said to me you always like all of our paintings how come this little boy noticed something and asked the right question children really sometimes have a way of saying things that kind of stop us in our tracks Yes, I do, I thought. How come? <laughs> and I don't remember exactly what I said to him. This was many years ago, but something about honesty and expressing from the inside. And how could I not feel anything but appreciation? I could ask questions and occasionally make suggestions. but there wasn't anything to dislike or to feel criti- critical about because each child painted each child's painting was their honest expression at the moment and this little boy seemed to understand what i said and he shook his head up and down quite vigorously and kind of beamed at me as adults can we be so unarmed in our creative expression while at the same time being mindful and seeing clearly receptive to the right answers that show up to our perennial questions regarding the way towards being truly happy and at ease in this life can we be so unarmed so as to allow the life force within us to catalyze into creative life with a purity and an intensity devoid of personal pride or self-judgment no 
conceit of self and be what we are by birthright. One of the creative endeavors that has been part of my life off and on over the years since I was in my early 20s has been the making of portrait sculpture with a particular person being the live model for each piece of work. And this work has been a deep and powerful direct practice and a metaphor of practice for me particularly in relationship to the cultivation of mindfulness, investigation and discernment, effort, joy, tranquility, concentration, and wisdom. So just to share a little of this, as I think um, it might be a useful illustration in the context of this retreat. In order to create a likeness of a person in clay, a tremendous depth of mindful investigation must take place. A head, its shape, the neck and shoulders, the face. How to see it as a whole and then know it both in its wholeness and in its particulars so that the seeing and knowing can be transferred through the eyes, the mind, the heart, and the body, out through the hands and the fingers into the clay. A daunting and actually impossible task if one doesn't begin to see what one is looking at simply as hundreds maybe thousands of relationships that actually change with each angle of seeing. And so the subject's head and face begin to break down into a series of relational forms, forms that exist only in relationship to each other forms that exist only in spatial relationship to each other. There's no head, no face, no person as we ordinarily know it. There are just a series of relationships to be known. And it's a very intimate process. Much more so than if I just keep looking at the whole form. The completely unique characteristics of the face in front of me become very clearly and deeply known, but not as any fixed or separate entity. And the universals of all human faces become known quite intimately. At the same time, the concepts of solidity, fixedness, and separateness lose their habitual potency and actually quite thoroughly fall away in moments. What is this nose, this eye, this chin? Any nose, any eye, any chin, 
seeing and knowing through the microscope of an open-hearted and deeply connected mindful investigation from revolving angles, moment to moment to moment. Seeing and knowing the space between the inside corner of an eye in relationship to the downward slope of the eye's lower edge, in relationship to the bulging curvature of the eyeball as it rounds out to touch the outer edge and the corner of the skin around the eye, and on and on and on. With all of this seeing and knowing coming out of my fingers into forming the clay little by little, and as though magically a face emerges out of the clay, a face that bears the likeness and projects some of the quality of the liveliness of this human being sitting in front of me. It's not so easy to render this creative process into words. So I hope that it's been at least uh, somewhat uh, communicated and helpful for you. Insight practice in itself is an art. And in in many, many ways very close to the creative process, as I'm sure some of you are aware of. And as we'll continue discovering as this retreat continues to unfold. During one particular period when I was deeply immersed in sculpture work, I went to see a film at a movie theater. And I was uh, quite struck that evening by all of the faces of all of the people in the lobby, each one having all of the same equipment. Noses, eyes, mouths, cheeks, chins, foreheads. (laughs) And yet each person's face being totally unique, just based on the tiny nuances, nuances of all of the parts, all of the parts that were interrelated. And my awareness that evening kept jumping back and forth, seeing the diversity in the one and the one in the diversity. For a little while that evening, they weren't separate. In the Avatamsaka Sutra, the flower ornament sutra, which is revered as a treasure of sensual imagery and considered to be the highest teaching of the Buddha in Chinese Mahayana Buddhism, there's a short section that elaborates on my very brief and small experience. It says, the Bodhisattva sees the interdependent nature of all all things, sees in one dharma all dharmas, sees in all dharmas the one dharma, sees the multiplicity in the one, and the one in the multiplicity, sees the one in the immeasurable, and the immeasurable in the one, the immeasurable meaning the indescribable, uh, the indescribable, the flow, the process of life as it unfolds. 
and the sutra goes on, birth and existence of all dharmas is of a changing nature and thus unreal and cannot touch the enlightened ones. The nature of things quite naturally reveals itself. It's not hidden. We enter into the mystery through the intimacy of our practice rather than staying at a distance, rather than staying separate from it. In very precise and sometimes minute ways, or at times through a more spacious, less precise mode of mindfulness and investigation, we come to know the not-self, not-separate, not-dual nature of things. Anything, all things, ordinary things. For a moment we touch into the absolute truth of the relative world and it makes a difference in how we live our life. Because on an intuitive level we've contacted the cause of suffering and the way to its end. Mindfulness, investigation and discernment are our guides through what at times might feel like an impenetrable forest of experience. As we all know, life can be uh, quite challenging and difficult at times. Practice can be quite challenging and difficult at times. Certainly not new news to any of you. Along the way, we find that it takes a deep willingness and a certain courage to traverse this path of awakening. People sometimes describe their experience at particular points along the path as feeling uh, as though they're a spiritual warrior. I think that many of us, much of the time, view experience and view our life as a string of blessings, or maybe a string of curses. Through our practice, our life as our practice, we learn to not get caught up in the attachment to blessings and the aversion to curses. With mindful presence and clear discernment as the ground of our life, we learn to view and to relate to life as a continual opportunity to deepen our practice and our understanding, a continual opportunity for learning, with all of it affording, affording us the amazing opportunity of awakening. And I think that for many of us, if we're really candid, we may occasionally feel like a spiritual warrior in the process. A few years ago, it became clear that I needed to have an old filling removed and a crown put on this same molar. So, maybe a curse from one point of view. And I'm severely allergic to an array of local anesthetics. So, Novocaine or any of the other uh, local anesthetics used for dental work 
are not for me. So maybe another curse from a particular point of view. But I have a very deep and strong practice, which is definitely a blessing. The appointment with the dentist was quite challenging. The challenge of continually relaxing and staying open to the experience of the moment. Focusing and connecting with all that was going on in my mouth. And noticing the constant change of each sensation. Sometimes a very strong, intense sensation. Sometimes a more mild sensation. Being present from its beginning through all the way through to its end. As soon as I would lose my concentration, mindfulness, and clarity of investigation or discernment, ignorance immediately moved in. And what was merely being experienced as varying degrees of unpleasant quickly, very quickly, became strong disliking. And then the moment verged on becoming an unbearable moment. There was a moment during that appointment when I completely lost the concentrated mindful connection to what was occurring in my mouth. And my body jerked very strongly in reaction to a particular sensation which uh, surprised the dentist (laughs) and was a wake-up call for me. And it was in moments a great surprise to me how easy it was to be there. As long as I was clearly and purely present, just with what was happening. And that's important, just with what was happening, nothing else. (laughs) Time lost its ordinary parameters, just like it sometimes does with intensive retreat practice. I wasn't waiting for the end of anything. And in fact, there were some very surprising moments of feeling, well, I could just stay here forever and that would be okay. So what is a curse? What is a blessing? As our practice takes deeper and deeper root, its blessings begin to permeate all the corners of our life. Mindfulness and investigation of states grounded in interest and an open-hearted, non-judgmental receptivity is our guide through what at times may feel like an impenetrable forest of experience. We can't expect or depend on something outside of our own mind and heart or someone else to do it for us. The invitation is ehipasika. Come and see for yourself. When we connect and see clearly, the next step is right in front of us one step at a time. Some years ago, uh, on on an autumn morning, 
I went on a day-long hike with a friend up into the mountains just north of town here in the Taos Ski Valley. And my hiking buddy is a long-time Dhamma practitioner, and so we like to hike in silence, and we usually walk alone, though not far along the trail from each other. And often we speak together only um, during rest breaks and during our lunch. Hiking days like this for me and for my friend are some of our most treasured non-retreat practice times. There's a very deep and connected relationship through all of the sense doors to the surrounding world and to our bodily sensations and movement and to the feelings and the various states that come up, come and go in the mind and the heart as we take our time making our way up the trail. And on this particular day, as we were wending our way up this particular Rocky Mountain landscape, two young people came up behind us moving very fast, actually almost running up the mountain. And they each had a small yellow plastic object in their hand that that they were holding quite intently uh, out in front of them. And we exchanged very cursory hellos. And I asked them what the yellow plastic object was. And I was told it was a GPS. As of course, as if I would know what a GPS was. I'm somewhat naive about these things, and this was uh, this was uh, quite some time before GPSs were so popular. And these two people were in such a hurry that there was no opportunity to ask, "What is a GPS?" But my friend, uh, she knew something a little bit about it, and she said that it was an instrument that tells you where you are. <laughs> And as soon as she said this, we both looked at each other with a kind of amazement, and we began to laugh. And we couldn't stop laughing for quite a while. The experience somehow really tickled our funny bone. Because that particular day, where my friend and I were, was being connected with and known over and over and over again in so many ways. And on so many levels, as we were slowly making our way up the mountain, the intermediary of a global positioning system seemed really silly at that point and in that setting. Then a poem by David Wagoner called Lost. Stand still. The trees ahead and the bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here. And you must treat it as a powerful powerful stranger, must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen, it answers. I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying, here. No true trees are the same to raven. No two branches are the same to wren. If what a tree, a bush, does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. 
The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. So again, ehi pasika, come and see. Come and see for yourself. The Buddha, with his great clarity and compassion, spoke about what he called the nutriment for the arising, the development, fulfillment, and perfection of the investigation of states. He said that we must give a wise and careful attention to both beneficial and unbeneficial states. Beneficial states such as loving-kindness, compassion, appreciative joy and equanimity, as well as to the so-called hindrances, sleepiness, restlessness, the wanting mind, the aversive mind, and the doubting mind. He said that it's essential that we give this wise and careful attention to states of suffering, and to the cause of suffering itself and to the end of suffering. And again and again the Buddha directs us towards seeing and knowing the particular individual essences of both beneficial or wholesome and unbeneficial or unwholesome states. The Buddha again and again also directs us towards seeing and knowing the three universal characteristics of all states of body and mind. The essential unsatisfactoriness, the ephemeral or impermanence of all states of body and mind, and the selfless nature of all mental and bodily experiences. This is the primary nutriment for the arising, the development, fulfillment, and perfection of this enlightenment factor of investigation and clear comprehension. And investigation is what primarily counters delusion, what primarily counters ignorance. The Buddha tells us that we should ask appropriate questions and that it's helpful to reflect on the real possibility of deep understanding. We're encouraged to associate with people who have understanding, and it's suggested that we don't spend too much time with those who don't have understanding. The Buddha spoke in a beautiful way about the internal purification of the heart and the mind as being, and these are his words, like the light of a lamp's flame that arises with a clean lamp bowl, wick, and oil as its support. And that bodily and mental formations become evident and clear to one who tries to comprehend them with a purified base, meaning a mind, a heart that's cleansed through the moral integrity of sila and the purification of the heart and mind that the development of concentration, samadhi, facilitates. Balancing our faculties of faith, 
energy, mindfulness, concentration, and understanding nurture investigation. And at some point, we may find that we would like to make a resolve to incline the mind, incline the heart towards these first two factors of enlightenment, the factors of mindfulness and investigation. Clear discrimination of bodily and mental states is a requisite for liberation, a requisite for the arising of wisdom. And so in this light, the particular factor of investigation is spoken of as the wisdom factor. And some words from Japanese philosopher and teacher of the way of tea. His name was Yanagi. He speaks about this in a quite a lucid and very succinct way. He says, they saw, before all else they saw, they were able to see. Ancient mysteries flew from this wellspring of seeing. There's a difference between the person with a mind unconsciously steeped in me, mine, and I and one who lives, sees, senses, feels, and knows through a mind, a heart, steeped in mindful awareness and investigation of states. The difference is that in the narrowness of the mind steeped in me, mine, and I, there's a strong and sticky identification with all of the hopes and all of the fears that arise which is a very painful place to live one's life from. When the mind, the heart, is steeped in the factors of mindfulness and investigation, one isn't very often caught or thrown off or ruffled or confused by inner and outer events. We see, we sense, we feel what is. We know it beyond its seeming appearances. We aren't caught nearly as often by hopes and fears in relationship to the moment's experiences. They come, we let them go when they go. Our practice affords us the great potential gift of not clinging of not being identified with and attached to experience all of the time. What is, is just what is, moment to moment, more and more often. The direct investigation and discrimination of states is what brings the deepest understanding. Otherwise our understanding is really only based on the intellect. It's really only cerebral understanding, a kind of imaginary understanding. And as you know well, at least some of the time, it's impossible to think our way out of tension. It's impossible to think our way out of stress, 
to think our way out of confusion. It's impossible to think our way out of suffering. And it's impossible to think our way into really, truly letting go. We can't think our way to freedom. Awakening is beyond or beneath the intellect. It's beyond or beneath concept. So how can we possibly use concept to get us there? When insight, when deep insight is born, when understanding is born, it's deep and integrated and simple. It's cellular, as someone once described their experience to me. The great Indian teacher Nisargadatta Maharaja tells us this. He says, the mind, the thinking mind, is interested in what happens, while mindful awareness is interested in the mind, is interested in the heart. The child is after the toy, but the mother watches the child, not the toy. With investigation, we move out of the dark and come into the light, the light of wisdom. In reference to his own enlightenment, the Buddha said, the eye is born, knowledge was born, wisdom was born, understanding was born, light was born. As you sit, walk, eat, do your yogi job and learn to simply and easily let the body move. As you spend time learning to truly see, which is what drawing flows from, as you spend time open-heartedly writing, as you make your way through this retreat, rather than being caught up in old, conditioned, and sometimes very unskillful habits. Mindfulness, investigation, and clear discrimination provide the best medicine for the great gift of engagement at its very best. Creative expression, our life as creative expression, that occurs purely from our personal experience is an expression of our humanness and our perceptions of reality, beautiful or otherwise. It may manifest as spontaneous expressions of sensing and feeling or as a reflection of insight, as a reflection of understanding. As we explore various creative modalities through this retreat and in our life as a whole, with honesty, humility, and an interested enthusiasm, we can be absolutely sure that this is an important and essential aspect of the path towards reaching and understanding the truth of ourselves, our not-self nature and the not-self nature 
of all things. As we practice and learn, we find that our life is unfolding and blossoming more and more from the place of selflessness, from the place of a healthy emptiness. With the thread of self having been pulled out, we experience creative expression flowing spontaneously and freely in myriad ways throughout our life. As awakening beings, we're moving towards our inheritance from the Buddha by simply becoming a real human being. A description one of my teachers uses for one who is liberated, a real human being. And this is the greatest gift that we can offer to this world. I'd like to close the talk with a poetic teaching from the Buddha. It's called A Single Excellent Night. Let me not revive the past or on the future build my hopes for the past has been left behind and the future has not been reached. Instead, with insight, let me see each presently arisen state. Let me know that and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. Today, the effort must be made. Tomorrow, death may come, who knows? No bargain with mortality can keep him and his hordes away. But one who dwells thus ardently by day, by night, it is in her or him, the peaceful sage has said, who has had a single excellent night. And let's sit for just a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.